XO, Episode 2 Road Trip Uh, so let me just set the scene a little. So we're driving, me and my mom are driving to who the fuck knows where, <laughs> somewhere. Driving to Minto. In uh, rural uh, New Brunswick. But an hour from where we live is where we're going to stop. Well, that's the first leg of the trip. First but, uh, stop, yeah. But we were just blabbing about random stuff. And then I think this just shows somewhat of my, uh, my pop culture sort of... I don't like to call it shallowness, I guess, but as soon as you started talking about old school TVs, you know, I'm like, hey, TV, I like TV. So you were just talking about your memories of the first TV that you had when you were a kid? So the first television set that we had, I was just a, a very small girl, so I very vaguely remember it, but we lived in an army compound, so there were lots of families around. I do remember somebody having a big kind of brownish one before us, but then we got ours. We had a little portable one, whereas these other people, this other family had a floor model, but ours was small. Probably because my mother didn't want our father to get it. He just went out and got what he wanted anyway, came home with this thing. So here's this cute little TV. It was sitting on the table, and the picture flickered on, and it was kind of grainy. And before I knew it, as the TV, the picture came on, our house, we already had a family of 12. No, we weren't 12 at that time. There were probably about eight or nine of us. But the living room was full with us and all these people from the neighborhood came in to see that TV. And it only, I don't remember it having a really good picture and I remember these men going up on our roof and fooling around with the aerial that had to be established because there was no cable, of course, and any of that stuff. Uh, but it was quite the thing. That would have been quite late in the world of TV, probably, well, the mid-1955, 1956, something like that. So what was actually on TV back then? Test pattern for CBC, big time. <laughs> that was on all the time. Our mother didn't didn't want us watching TV all the time. It was one of those evils, like, oh my God, you can only watch an hour of TV a day or half an hour of TV a day. But you know, I think that that might have been all it was on anyway. The test pattern that was on, because you could only get the one channel, was CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And whenever you turned on the TV, that's what you saw. But why I mean, did they just not have a full day's worth of programming? Why would that be on? Like, was it just really early in the morning? Because it was one channel coming out of probably Toronto, CBC, that was produced by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. They didn't in those days, I don't think they would have had the capability to buy up a lot of American television, which was really flying by that time because American TV had been around for the masses since around 1947 or 1948. The TV certainly wasn't on all the time. It seemed to come on around noon time. There was probably some news stuff, TV news on. And that could have been part of, of my mother not wanting, really feeling we needed, she didn't feel we needed a TV. Radio was certainly sufficient. And it wouldn't have been kids programming either in those early days. So that's probably why it could have been on and there could have been a lot of shows. I just don't have any memory of it because it didn't mean anything. I have to remember, I was a kid, just a little kid. 
And in my early years, I didn't get to see a lot of the early shows because they always headed on after, uh, it was on at 10 o'clock on Sunday night after Ed Sullivan. We always had to kind of beat our way into letting the parents, letting us see Ed Sullivan. And then uh, to see Bonanza, we had, I don't know why they had put it on so late. We'd have to sneak downstairs and take peeks at it and see little snippets of it. Now the other thing about early TV is it was all live. Everything was live. They didn't have the capacity, or if they did, they didn't use it. All news programming was not prepared, it was live. Comedy shows like Wayne and Schuster and that, they were all live. So there were a lot of screw-ups in those early days. Sets falling down, people forgetting their lines, and people just covering up for it. And you watch some of that old grainy black and white stuff, and you see how people were able to act on their feet speak on their feet, recover on their feet. If the set fell down, just make up something, ad lib, like, oh, yeah, 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 that was supposed to happen that way. And it's really a very interesting study. And I find it much more fascinating than, than uh, stuff today. I did go to uh, this place in Astoria, Queens, called the Museum of the Moving Image. And it's just a lot of old TVs and old microphones and old projectors and stuff and it was kind of interesting to look at because I used to be a projectionist so to look at a really old projector and to try to run through it and see like could I make this thing work and it, there's definitely similarities in some ways things didn't change that much it was kind of a cool place although again with my pop culture shallowness the thing that stuck out the most to me is they had a temporary exhibit of Star Wars toys and I saw some toys that I had as a kid that I hadn't thought of you know in, 25 years or something and just seeing those that was my favorite part of the whole museum was just like hey I had that thing when I was a kid well and that's what people connect to anyway it's something that that in their memory comes back to them like that's probably why I find early TV fascinating. I, at the time it didn't mean anything to me, but now looking back at it, I say, look what, wow, look what I, look what was going on at that time. I was just thinking how it's kind of neat how you can have nostalgia for the TV that was on when you were a kid because there was a merit to it. I don't have that at all, man. When I look at the shit that I watched as a kid, it's fucking garbage. It's terrible. Like, if you go back and watch the old Transformers episodes, they're oh, just yeah. shit. They're uh, you, I agree with that. They were so poorly done. They would just take certain images and just keep doing them over and over and over again. And it really was the joke they made in The Simpsons is the Snickers, Mattel, Chocobot, Power, Energy, Robot Hour. Like, it's just made to sell toys to kids. That's all that shit is. That's the only reason there is a show is to go buy He-Man figures and G.I. Joe and stuff. And yeah, it was so shameless. now in Minto. Do we want to carry on or do we want to stop and get a cup of coffee? I'm feeling okay. You hungry yet? Carry on. I remember as a kid when you would watch TV, you had to sit there and watch it because it was usually only one commercial. And you really had to seriously think about, geez, do I have time to get to the fridge and get back? Do I have time to get to the bathroom and get back? 
Now you have to remember too, houses only had one bathroom in those days. My God forbid that you got to live in a house with only one bathroom. <gasps> Whereas nowadays, you can go, God, you could practically go out and walk to the store and come back and you haven't missed anything because the commercial is still on. Sometimes you'd have two commercials. Usually if you were watching our shows, between when they had the break, it would be two commercials. Yeah, you, usually you did not have time to get to the kitchen, get yourself a glass, get milk, and get in there. And people would be yelling, get back, this show's on! You'd be halfway through pouring the milk. It's amazing how far, I don't know, just by knowing The Simpsons, it multiplies your knowledge of the past in a pop culture sense like crazy, because I know so much stuff because of The Simpsons. Like when I finally saw Citizen Kane, I saw it in a theater actually in Vancouver. They played Casablanca and Citizen Kane back to back. And Casablanca I was impressed with, but Citizen Kane was like best movie of all time. Fuck you, this is boring as hell. But I think you could recreate that movie almost shot for shot with Simpsons parodies. It's amazing how many times. And I didn't I never knew. I had no idea that like when Burns is running for mayor that this whole backdrop is I had no no idea. As much as I said the, uh, the old Transformers show was bad, which it was, the Transformers movie from the 80s I really did like and it holds up pretty well. And that was Orson Welles' last ever thing is he voiced Unicron, who was a Transformer so big he transformed into a planet and he flew around and ate other planets and was a real prick and Orson Welles was his voice. And to me, that's the best thing Orson Welles ever did. So, well, no, maybe I am shallow. The same is uh, War of the Worlds, of course, uh, which the radio program. Now, and that just shows you what media can do to influence people because people listened to that. That was in 1938. Yeah, there were people listening to that on the radio and he was just reading it and they freaked right out. No, oh, because the aliens were coming and they got in their cars and they panicked and they got, they got to get away. And would have thought it, right? We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds, as ours are to the beasts in the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. A slight atmospheric disturbance of undetermined origin is reported over Nova Scotia. I'm speaking from the Gulf of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. 
First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. A bulletin is handed me. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside of Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. Seem to be time and space. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. Steel cowlish head is even with his skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. I have summoned you here for the purpose. Nobody summons Megatron. Then it pleases me to be the first. as gullible as they were, but you can imagine, at first when I started, when I first heard that story, I thought, oh, for God's sake, I really find that so hard to believe. But when you think back, 1938, rural, people would have only had radios, there were no TVs. They didn't get a daily newspaper that they could read, unless you lived in a city. So your only connection with the outside world was through radio. If I didn't care more than words can say, and the occasional guy who might come around selling his wares to your farm. If I didn't care, because that's another thing about radio I that I didn't realize either. Because when I was growing up, we had a radio on all the time, like 24 freaking hours a day. But you watch pictures of the war, World War II. When World War II started, you see it in Britain, people turned the radio on only for certain, because the radio wasn't on, it didn't broadcast all the time. It only broadcasted occasionally. So you Even say, really? Even the radio uh, wasn't on? World. Yeah, because people would say, oh, there's going to be a message from the king. That would be the message. There will be a message from the king about the war, and it's going to be on at 8 o'clock tonight. We are now ceasing broadcasting for... And they would cease broadcasting. Then at eight o'clock at night, yes, the, they would broadcast again. So they did not broadcast all the time. Now, I didn't know that until I started watching shows of World War II being declared. So people didn't get up in the morning, for example, on the morning that war was declared. And I gotta find out where we are here. If I didn't care for People didn't get up in the morning and have, just turn on the radios and say war has been declared. They, they would have heard it from some other source. So deer, 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 look at this. Oh, deer in the road. Look, three of them. Oh my God, four of them. One, two, three, four. Yeah, but we kept our radio, even after we got a TV, we, our radio played 24 hours a day because my older brothers were very much into radio, so it went all night. Even when I was in high school and I moved to Campobello Island and my brothers were gone by that time, they'd moved away. Um, we still, radio was on all the time. 
I do kind of think it's interesting, like, they call it terrestrial radio now, old school radio, because then there was satellite radio, which was a bit of a failure, and there's internet radio. They're like, it's surprising that there's still a place for it, but maybe it's doing better than I thought it was. I think it is, and you know, I remember uh, growing up as a, and TV becoming very, very big in people's lives, and then um, computers came around, and, and VCRs, and uh, any, all of those other things, and people said, radio, that's it. It's had its heyday, it's, it's gonna, it's dead, virtually. But it isn't. People that still have transistor radios that they carry around with them. So radio, strangely enough, has survived all of that, that new extra communications that have come in. And if somebody had said to me when I was about 15, radio, radio will be around, I would have said, are you crazy? No, it isn't. Radio's gonna die out because of all of these other things, but it hasn't. I didn't listen to radio for a long time when you kids were growing up. I just had too much going on. But in later years here, I, ha I have gone back to radio and I have radio on quite often and all night long the radio is on. That's one thing I've noticed. I don't know if this is a generational shift or it's just an aesthetic choice on my part, but in my own way I listen to talk radio all the time like crazy. It's just that it's this internet stuff because to me, all of that radio stuff to me, even the NPR really serious stuff, just has this level of artifice to it that podcasts just don't have, like what we're doing right now, you know, or what Keith and Hem to do. It's just, it's just so much more natural to me. And I just have a hard time, now that I've gotten so used to this type of thing, I find it hard to listen to more produced programs because they just don't feel legitimate to me. They feel way too much like there's an agenda, there's a style, there's... Which kind of takes us right back to what we had said when we first started this uh, about TV, early TV. When you look back at those shows that were done live and have uh, errors and mistakes in them, but people are able to recover very quickly and carry on and um, same thing. It's almost like there's more legitimacy to that because somebody just spur of the moment is thinking of how do I get out of this? How do I salvage this? rather than saying, oh, we'll just take that off somewhere and polish that up. But that's how we are as humans. You know, you have to cover for yourself all the time. Recover yourself and carry on. Well, when you're watching that on old black and white TV, you have a greater appreciation for it as you're saying, hey, that guy really did good, did really well at covering himself on that. I would hardly even noticed it. But if it's all prepared ahead of time and polished and Oh yeah, about uh, watching TV as opposed to radio. Ian in New York, she had this thing called an iPod Touch. It's just like an iPhone basically, except without the phone. But it's this little thing, it's bigger than a credit card, but not that much bigger, you know, it's pretty small. And it has a little screen on it, and you can watch TV shows on it. And that's where I'm starting to feel like I can find the edges of where I'm starting to become an old man who's just shocked and amazed by new stuff because we were watching a cartoon on this thing on the, the subway in New York with headphones in 
and I couldn't get it out of my head that it seemed like it was a special effect. You know, it seemed like someone came in later and added in the fact that we were watching TV on this little credit card thing in her hand, because it just didn't seem like it could be real, you know? Alright, it's the next morning and I have honestly lost track of where the fuck I am. We were in Chatham, where years ago, before I was born, my mom used to be a teacher for a couple of years. She showed me the school she used to teach at, the old house that she used to live in. Now it's about six in the morning, and as usual I just kind of can't sleep, so I decided to get up. The reason for this road trip with my mom is basically that last weekend we had a real bad fight. Just one of these things that escalated beyond whatever the initial argument was about into just all of these ludicrously enormous, you know, overblown statements of like, <laughs> you were never affectionate enough to me as a child. <laughs> There's these, these enormous things that are just not, not fucking cool to lay on somebody. We haven't exactly talked about that stuff, and I don't know if we will. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but uh, so we can just blab about classic TV. That's fine. In the bathroom mirror this morning, I noticed that I got a lot of gray hairs. My 30th birthday is coming up soon, and I got my first gray hair when I was 20 or 21, and I would just kinda, as I saw one, I'd just kinda pluck it out. Today, man, I don't know, it was like the more I hunted around for gray hairs, the more I just kept finding. I must have pulled out four or five, like it's getting to the point where it's a war of attrition that I'm gonna lose. And there's just no denying that mean gray hair, it's the first sign that uh, systems are starting to fail. Things are not firing. Death is imminent. And when we were talking about birthdays yesterday, my mom mentioned that it's gonna be my dad's 60th birthday soon. I really didn't realize he was that old. My grandmother, his mom, is if not 100 years old, then like damn near, like 99. And still in pretty good shape. Saw a lady in the paper yesterday, 113 years old. I have no hope that I'm gonna live to be that old. and I definitely don't for my poor old dad. I mean, the guy just, you can tell he's just kind of, he's always had kind of heart problems and he's bad blood pressure and he's just kind of a stressed out dude. And I don't know, like, it's just shocking to realize he's 60. He's probably got 10 years left in him, you know? 
could go any time, and it just does seem weird. Not at all. Uh, I've never really put any thought toward the idea of people I know dying. And on top of all that, I was talking, when was this, two days ago, to my mom. And in some ways this is cliched old person material that everyone you fucking know has cancer or something, but it's true that, uh, well, except it's not even old people, it's people I know have cancer, you know? My friend Jay got testicular cancer years ago. This kid Douglas who I went to school with, I just found out has colon cancer. And, and from what I understand, it's pretty serious. Dude, Jeremy, I know in New York, he had testicular cancer. But on top of that, we were talking about people my mom knows with Alzheimer's and just how it just wipes your fucking life, you know? You walk out of the church that you've gone to every day for fucking 40 years, you live just down the street and you've lived there your whole life and you don't know how to get there, you know? It's like, what the fuck? And the real shocking one, I was gonna maybe ask my mom to talk about it, but I don't know. She, uh, she puts up a strong front, but it's obvious that this is upsetting, so I don't think I'm gonna ask her to recount the tale, but... She has a friend named Barb Durling, who... This was, uh, I don't know, two or three years back. My mom's name is also Barb, so Barb and Barb were out on the town. It was the Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival that happens every year in my hometown. Just hanging out, drinking, having a good time. Came home, and that was it. That was the last day for Barb Darling. Because that night she had a brain aneurysm and she's been in a, a coma ever since. She was only 50-some. Just happens, you're totally vibrant and fine one day and next thing you know, you're done. You're just fucking done. And at the ripe old age of fucking 30 years old, I'm just really starting to realize... It's basically, I, I don't know how else to say it, but you don't overcome anything. You don't, no one does. You don't overcome cancer, you don't overcome Alzheimer's, you don't overcome aneurysms. Best case scenario, you might get a reprieve, but we're all dead. We're dead. <laughs> you understand? We're dead people. Dead men fucking walking. And maybe that sounds bleak, but that's just the fucking truth. That's just how it is. Blink of a fucking eye. And it seems like such a harsh counterpoint to the last show I did about Mike getting a branding that is, that's the definition of like, of this youthful thing of trying to 
find the boundaries in life and in yourself, trying to find the outside edges of what you can handle and what you can take. I did the same type of thing when I was in my early 20s where I'd go to punk shows and, and go in mosh pits and just like be bruised and bleeding and just like could barely sleep at night, could barely walk the next day, just but like proud, proud that I had survived, that I found out how tough I was. I mean, it's an important part of development and growing up. It's important to find out that you're not, you know, it's important to find out that you're tough. But it's temporary because then you're going to later find out that you're dead. <laughs> if the universe decides to just fucking have a meteor fall on your fucking head, if you get cancer or you get Alzheimer's or you get an aneurysm or you get whatever, you get hit by a fucking car. Who the fuck knows? You're dead. You're just fucking dead. At any time, you could just go. And it just, it does make it seem funny how young people deliberately seek out hardship when the fucking world is so ludicrously hard already. But that stuff we were recording yesterday about TV and stuff, I thought it might be cool to finish that off with just, just about growing up with so many, so many damn brothers and sisters, because that's just not how it is anymore. Nobody has that many kids. Um, what was different about our family is we covered 23 years, so we had, we were like three families in one family. I mean, at least part of it had to be a religious thing, right? Of like Catholicism? Oh yeah, the good Catholic there, you know. I've never talked about that kind of stuff until later. In the last few years of her life, I had a chance to meet up with her occasionally and talk about that. But growing up, that was never talked about. It was just how it was. So you just, the two older brothers who were, you know, a bit older than us. Then there was a, the middle gang who were all fairly close in age. Uh, in 10 years, like they were all, they were all born. Is that the part you were a part of? Oh yeah, I was in the middle of that one. And then there's the younger three who we always kind of considered, who are not that much younger than our brother John. In fact, but, but there's something about those last three that it's as if they were a family of their own because they were, there were three years between each of them. So things were slowing down at that time, but the middle crew came very quickly on the heels of one another, like a year apart, year and a half apart. So, you know, there was a, a, always a baby in the house when a new one was on the way. Yeah, like I don't really know specifically what questions to even ask about that, because I mean, I only had the one brother and many a time I'm like I could have done without that so like I can't even imagine having 11 and I don't know we must have driven our parents nuts because uh, that was the that was the year of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and hippiedom and drugs and all that stuff that was all part of uh, of our growing up and we had music blaring all hours of the day and night. We had people who always were at our house because the, they didn't really want us at their house. 
They didn't want their own kids at their houses because the kids made messes. So we always had a house full of other people's children too. <laughs> How is there even room for more fucking kids? Yeah. <laughs> and I have to give that to our mother never said that somebody couldn't come or never a problem. Would you even, I mean, I mean, this is a silly question, it's probably not hard for you to do, but can you even name your brothers and sisters by, like, age, like, starting at the oldest? Because I bet I can. And I even know when they were born. Yeah. Little Colin, Liz, Chris, Barb, Pat, Margaret, Janet, John, Denise, Valerie, Caroline. There you have it. <laughs> How, like, and it was just your dad that worked, right? Not your yeah. mom? Oh, yeah, just my dad. How could your mom work anywhere else? Like, <laughs> looking after these kids, it'd be impossible. I just, I just boggles my mind. I don't know how that even worked. Well, we didn't have a lot of what every, you know, other kids in the neighborhood had, where there were only two or three kids in the family. We didn't have the newest of bikes. In fact, we got very little that was new, because we handed down stuff. I remember when Caroline was born, and she was the youngest of us. Mom went out and bought a brand new baby carriage for a brand new one, not a second-hand one somebody had given her, or one that had been handed down from the previous child. And I remember at the time thinking, because I was about 12 or 13, you know, there were things that I wanted, and I knew I'd never get them, and I was thinking, well, why is she buying that brand new baby carriage? And it was a beautiful thing, and it was expensive. How come she's buying that? God, we're not going to have any more kids. Because she kept saying, no more, this is the last one. <laughs> She'd been saying that for a while. And I thought, well, and she wasn't getting any younger. And this was, and it had been three years since there had been a baby in the house. Um, and I thought, well, you know, this really is the last one, or should be. So why is she going to that expense? And it wasn't a convertible baby carriage either. You know, that sometimes you can buy the big buggies and, and you can convert them into a stroller. This wasn't one. This was a solid body, beautiful Cadillac baby carriage. And I, I, that always boggled me, my mind, as to you've got all these kids who want things, who want new things, and we're not going to get them, but we got this brand new baby carriage for the brand new baby. Like, garage. like, yeah, well, I'm going to get something for, she didn't really want anything for herself, but I'm going to get something that I can really show off that new baby. I still thought that was bizarre because there were always people who were willing to give you virtually brand new baby carriages, hand-me-down clothes. We handed down our own things, but we always had people who were more than pleased to give us their cast-offs. And we were very used to that. So that's why today, I mean, shopping at secondhand places like Frenchies and that, hey, that's my thing. Can't, can't bear to spend money on expensive new clothes because it's in my genes to be perfectly accepting of secondhand stuff. Well, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, and it's certainly a, a good trait to have, I think, but I think there was definitely some trickle down because I remember distinctly I was in 11th grade before I ever found out what jeans cost. And obviously I have a shit pile of cousins. Yeah, it was like 11th grade before somehow it came up that somebody paid $80 for a pair of jeans. And I thought they were joking because I never bought them. I was trying to teach you kids some money values in that those things were really not that important. You didn't, And I don't know if I was successful or not, but it was that you really didn't need to have 
like other people going out and spending $90 for a pair of jeans that you're only going to wear like three or four times and then you were going to be grown out of them because you were growing so fast even today and I am not a poor person today but I find that is a frivolous waste of money it could be used for so many more important things and as I say the, we got the hand-me-downs from everybody who was doing that well I really think there's no question about uh, whether you know, you don't have to wonder, like, I, I don't know if it worked or not. Because when I first got to New York, man, Keith fucking would ride me all the time about the just random shit I would do, like, at the apartment in Queens, somebody left uh, a couple of, like, shoe racks, and I was all proud of myself, like, hey, I just set up these shoe racks on their side, and now I can use them to hang laundry on, and I don't have to pay for the dryer. And he's like, what the fuck is the matter with you? Why don't you just pay the $1.50 for the fucking dryer? Which eventually I did start to do, but that just seemed like a normal thing for me. in the 21st century and people are now talking about all of the waste and depletion of the ozone because we people did all those things like had to use the dryer well now you know that you don't have to you can always just hang your clothes around they'll dry so you're way ahead of where the rest of northern culture is who's just kind of depleted everything and it's going to have a pretty hard time learning it that you really don't have to have clothes dryer I really do think too this got a, got me a lot of criticism, but another uh, one of my unpopular opinions was in the states before I left, the big thing was this recession. It's on the, the front page of the paper like every goddamn day, it's the new boogeyman, oh man, the, the recession, the economy is in this downturn. And I, I probably could have said it nicer than I did, but basically I was saying like, first you can get rid of your iPhone and your 3G cell phone plan that costs you all this money every month and you can not go spend two grand on a fucking plasma flat screen TV and all this horse shit, then you can fucking complain to me that the economy is in a downturn, you know? You can't have both, you just can't, you never should have had all that shit. Yeah, I agree, we have created a culture that it just feels it can't get by without those things. It's so deprived if it doesn't happen.
episode two. For more shows, please visit keithcourage.com.